Thank you for taking the time. Face to Face is the new record, but you did have a great new record last year, Nut. And those two albums are very, very different from one another. Is that a conscious decision to have done one album that had, you know, a lot of programming and one album that's all real instruments? Do you know what, Darren? I feel like these days planning has kind of gone out the window sure. when it comes to making music. It's sort of, I feel like to keep up with um, the pace of music that's out there and reaching audiences and reaching new audiences, you kind of just have to be much more impulsive these days. And, and I, I've found that anyway. So I've, I've, I've never been a massive planner anyway, um, but I think probably less so now. Um, and really, I think the, the, the important thing is just sort of respecting each project and making sure it's not kind of trampling on each other. Um, and so not my, my own studio record that came out in September last year, that was the priority to get out just because it was the third part of that trilogy that had mm -hmm. taken seven years. And it was important to not leave too long a gap for me between those albums. Um, and then Susie, as it turned out, was was making this amazing EP of covers at that time anyway. So she was, she was on a project and touring a lot. And we'd written face to face over the last couple of years, sort of from, you know, the end of the end ish of lockdown and uh, uh, and a little bit before that. And so there was never any massive rush on this album. It was it was just finding a time that felt right um, to release it. And it was always going to be a very standalone, different sounding project because it's a duets album. Did Susie play bass on Face to Face? She did, yeah. And who played drums? Uh, it's a guy called Tim. It's her her drummer from her band, and his his last name escapes me right now. Phenomenal band. Yeah. I'm terrible with last names, so I know their first names. <laughs> but but um, uh, yeah, Sun Tim, Records. Tim a, really, yeah, that's, yeah that's Tim is an amazing drummer. Je, Jez is is one of my favorite pianists. I think his his playing on a uh, on face on, on on the track face to face is just absolutely beautiful um and then of course susie's son uh lr tucky on lead electric and he also produced the records so you weren't the only initials person in the room because there was a LR apparently not i i knew him as rich and i now know him as lr we're just trying to turn everyone that way darren i get it are you calling london home these days no i live in santa fe in new mexico that's a new thing because when I had the pleasure of interviewing you over email like seven years ago, you were in LA. I know. Hello again in person. <laughs> Imagine being able to interview remotely in person. Completely new, new world. Yeah. So Scott, so was it Scotland to London to LA, back to London to Santa Fe? I never went back to London. So I, I was in London for about 13 years and then I moved to uh, Venice Beach. I was there for about seven years got out of the craziness and up into the mountains and lived in Topanga for a few years and then decided to make a move out of the city. I've never really been a city person. And I think as, as the world has become kind of progressively madder, um, I, it, it felt like just the right time to get out of the city for me and find somewhere I could kind of put my roots down for the first time.
Are you still doing the film composing thing? And the reason I ask this, you had a lot of success in a very short period of time. I would say you had about 25 years of credits in about four years. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Um, well, we actually just released a really beautiful project that we made quite a long time ago called Carried. And it was a short film based on the song Carried from my fourth record, Invisible Empire, Crescent Moon. And uh, Chris Turner, or Favorite Color Black is his artist's name, brilliant um, music video director. He was very inspired to write a short film mm -hmm. around that song. And it was uh, it was just myself and the amazing Scottish actor, James Cosmo. If you've ever watched Game of Thrones or any major Scottish movie, you would recognize he was, he was, I think, the head of the crows in Game of Thrones. Any and, Scottish movie? Yes. And, and Highlander. Braveheart, all of those ones. He's just a, yeah. he's a, he's a, and, and many other films. He's a fantastic actor. Um, and that was a film where I was actually kind of uh, going back to my acting roots as well. But, but that was really, uh, really rewarding um, writing the score for that movie with another, it was co-written with another composer called Bryce Jacobs. And um, it was, it was very, very much singer songwriter wheelhouse as was um chasing satellites which was the other uh full-length movie that came out not long ago an australian movie got it so you seem really open to collaborations and the film work i'm not sure i'm brilliant at it because i think film requires such nuance and such kind of subtlety <laughs> I don't I've never kind of been a, 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 a massively subtle musician and I'm actually I'm so drawn to melody and often melody isn't what a movie needs um, and so at the moment I'm really concentrating on musical theatre um, so I've written music and lyrics for um, one uh, show and I'm in the process of writing the music and collaborating on a new one so loving that because that's that's sort of almost like the new traditional pop song corner is musical theater where you're writing more traditional songs and uh, able to use those old fashioned chord transitions that apparently are, are out of fashion in pop song writing these days. You're not the only one, you know, my last interview yesterday was Kip Winger from the Bang Winger. Mm. Uh, musical yeah. theater is where he's going. <laughs> so I think well, it's- I think, Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a real vanguard of, of, of songwriting right now because I, I wasn't a huge mu stage musical fan growing up. I grew up through the eighties and it just all seemed extremely cheesy and kind of not believable. And actually, my favorite musicals were things like Bugsy Malone and Oliver and, um, you know, I loved Sound of Music. These were these ones that the film musicals I loved. Um, and then I went to see Book of Mormon and just every and I thought, oh, my God, if if people a are open to watching this show and b not walking out of this show, then I'm in. This is. I was genuinely shocked by that musical uh, in, in the most delightful way. And then went to see other shows. War Horse in London was fantastic. Um, the new Harry Potter shows with Imogen Heap doing the music. Obviously went to see Waitress with brilliant Sarah Bareilles doing the music for it. But also the, the subject matter has, audiences are now basically ready for anything, which is really exciting.
Well, you mentioned a couple of names right there. I'm noticing a pattern of all the Broadway shows these days, the music is written by people who survived major labels. <laughs> yeah, so everything just seems nice. <laughs> well, Duncan Sheik has had a lot of success on Broadway with Spring Awakening. He did the American Psycho musical, et cetera. So yeah. it's cool to see that Broadway's receptive to people who can write three minute songs that have choruses. Yeah, I think that I, I think that there it, it's a bit of a haven for those of us who are more traditional songcraft writers. Um it's funny because sometimes my publisher or my label will say, oh, you should do some co-writing with a new artist. And, and I'm just like, I just, I feel like it's a language I don't speak. I don't understand how to craft that kind of song. Um, I'm, I'm a storyteller. And so that, that, that really lends itself so beautifully um, to musical theater. And also there's this completely new challenge where in a pop song you can just write a great chorus and repeat it four times and in a musical you have to end up in a completely different place you can't stay you can't stay still in a feeling um, and that's a really cool new skill to learn for sure if i can throw a compliment your way something that always i felt made you stand out from other singer songwriters what an outdated term was that you're a real lead guitarist you're a real excellent lead player Thank you. Uh, we kind of expect you to have a different guitar on every song when you yeah. play one, kind of like rick nielsen from cheap trick yeah. now thank did you. you did you have a phase where you shredded and used to play too many notes with your solos oh my god i'm so amazed that you're calling me a lead guitarist it's like it's like a dream because I, I, I get it as a rhythm player, and I'm very, very proud of being a, a, a consummate rhythm player. Um, and lead still feels totally unattainable to me. <laughs> I, I say that your rhythm playing is lead-esque. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Well, think of it this way. How many singer-songwriters look awkward if they don't have the guitar on them so you know it's just a prop so for example when bono brings out the guitar for the one song of the night you go come on man this is a prop right here you're just showing us that you can play guitar whereas i'm the one who looks awkward and doesn't know what to do with their arms when you take away my fifth limb um but no it's 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 um it's a lovely compliment. Thank you, Darren. I've no one said that and framed it like that before. And I really enjoy that idea because I'll also, I do a lot of single string work where I've worked out, I love bass lines and I love, and, and so I've always thought when I play with a band that my rhythm section is not the bass and drums, it's actually the rhythm and drum, rhythm, guitar and drums. And the bass is more of a melodic instrument when I'm so there's lots of especially on this new record not there's so many jumpy melodic bass lines and often if I'm playing solo I'll be muting all strings but one and playing the bass line um but I think uh I've always described myself as scrappy because lead guitar traditionally requires real precision and it's some that is something I have never possessed, and I don't think ever will have the um, need to perfect because it's it's 
I like the messiness of how I play. It's enjoyable and it's, I guess it's my style. <laughs> well, but, credit. but I will say there was one though. I remember going to see Bonnie Vare on tour and Feist, Leslie Feist was opening. And mm -hmm. I was so impressed by Feist's finger work and her riffing. And I'm a huge Jack White fan as well. So I'm a, and Jimmy Page, obviously. Just a, and actually Mike Campbell is, is, is uh, just very dear to my musical sensibility because it's so simple, but so powerful. And mm -hmm. Lindsey Buckingham and these guitarists that, that the, the guitar line is as singable as the vocal melody, you know? People, the crowd are singing along to the guitar solo in the same way as they are this chorus. Um, and, but when I saw Feist, that really sparked me to go, right, I've got to get better at playing riffs. And I wrote that song, Feel It All, from Invisible Empire, Crescent Moon, which is all based around a riff. And because I learned that riff properly, it sounds like I can riff really well. When it, in fact, I can only riff that song really well. So there was never a shredder phase because doing some research, oh. I know that you started off on Bon Jovi. You started off with the 80s hard rock before yeah. you became more singer songwriter -y. Yeah, I never, I never learned riffs. I was never someone sitting noodling, learning the riffs. I was, uh, I, I just wanted to get into being the whole band and busking and being able to, the, 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 the enjoyment was in the playing itself. So I was very impatient. And just, I also can't do bar chords because I have bony knuckles. And you so when I try and play chords? a bar chord, um, I, can't, I can't dampen all the strings because this one dampens and the skinny part doesn't hit the guitar. So I've ended up basically making up my own up and down the neck chords, which are pretty open, which again has become something, lots of kind of hung forths and open strings and and a lot of the time i mean i did piano lessons for 12 years i know my way around a score and a stave and intervals and chord progressions but a lot of the time i don't know what guitar chord i'm playing i just found something i like i could work it out but i don't i don't know what it is that blows my mind that this whole time <laughs> i thought that you were this virtuoso who knew every oh, chord no not at all not at all guitar i think that's why i liked guitar was that it was an instrument where I could not worry about that stuff. I didn't need to know what the chords were. I just needed to know if I liked the sound of it, which you could apply to any instrument. But because I started piano lessons at four years old, it was such an imprinted kind of mathematical exercise on piano. And I was never really able to break out and become an improviser on piano, really, really, really. I couldn't kind of get, it was such a huge machine. I, it just wasn't my instrument. And as soon as I got in guitar, I just, it was experimental. Got it. So this whole time I was calling you a virtuoso and you were just original. I'm just, I'm an, I'm, I'm an explorer and an experimenter. Well, uh, yeah. The other thing is that you might find oh. interesting, Darren, is that I never write chords when I'm songwriting. I never write a single chord down. I only write lyrics and the way my brain works is the lyrics remind me what the chord is. But the problem with that is that I, if I go back to songs that I don't play live, I literally have to relearn them. I can't remember how to play the guitar parts. I can't remember the chords. I can't remember where they are. 
and I have to sit there and go, oh, it's not that, it's not that. And Google can be very helpful because sometimes if I have recorded it once, I can go back and watch the video and see where my fingers are. But yeah, my 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 songwriting journals are almost always only words. That must drive the film score people nuts. Well, film score, you have to, you and musical theater score, you have to put everything on paper because, well, particularly for, for musical theater, because you're creating a master document that needs to go to Hong Kong and have a completely different cast and band play this. So there, you have to put it on score. So that was where my music theory background has come in so handy because now I'm, I can write a string arrangement and I can write for mm -hmm. a company, for a company of 20 people singing. And uh, I don't actually, thankfully, have to write the physical score, but I work in logic. And so everything is everything is actually on paper digitally. Um, and for film score, I would I, I would if I had to put it down on score, like I've done arrangements for orchestra a little bit, um, then I would use a copyist for that. I would I would send the MIDI tracks of what I've recorded and then they would I mean, Logic actually has a really cool score uh, feature, but um, I, it's like producing in the studio. It's it's fascinating to me. It's interesting to me, but I don't want to spend my time being a copyist or an engineer. That's not how I want to spend the energy and time. And so it, you reach out and you, you ask people who are much better than you for these favors. You pay them. You pay them. Yeah. CEO Katie Tunstall. Well, two quick questions and then I'll let you go. And the first one is 2024. What does that look like for you? Because we've got new records from you in 2022 and 2023. Most artists would go, oh, I'm taking off for the foreseeable future because I've done two albums in two years. For you, what's coming up? Are we allowed to know? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely reaching a point where it would make a lot of sense creatively and spiritually to take a hiatus um but well, 2025 is the 20th anniversary of my first record so that's a really big celebration for me there's just still so much love from crowds for that record so it it makes sense to just keep the ball rolling up until that very kind of natural um flag in the sand of 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 celebrating that first record and it's so strange there's such a there's such a cool convergence of things happening where this is also going to be the last i've been with the same record label the whole time which is kind of and publisher which is sort of unbelievable both of those contracts come to an end um I'm turning 50 in 2025 and it's just, it's like, a, it's it, planets aligning. I've moved to Santa Fe, my life. It's like you really should disappear in 2024 because of how big 2025 is going to be. What, say that again, Darren? It sounds like you should just disappear next year. So, so 2020, yeah, everywhere. so, so live-wise, I've got some, I'm, I've got some great one-off gigs. I'm, I'm just concentrating on really exciting one-off things that I can just go dip out of life and go and play for a day or three and then come home. 
But next year really is about these two musical theater projects. So one of them, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet, which is so exciting. And you, you know this, you know this musical. It's like, it's the music, the stage musical version of a very beloved, well-known title. And um, it's, uh, we're hoping to be on stage next, early next year. So, um, so that's gonna be a really big deal. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So you're not going away in 2024. Okay, well, the last question. I'm not question. going away. I'm definitely, I'm working in a different cosmic room for 2024. 2025, we're just going to have a massive party, a nostalgia party. And then 2026, I'm learning how to be a ceramicist. You never know that before my last question, you never know what the side hustle is. Like I was talking to the singer of Buck Cherry and he learned how to be a phlegm bottom, phlegm bottle. Uh, What's phlebotomist? the drop blood? Phlebotomist. Yeah, he learned how to do that yeah. during the pandemic. Wow. Well, I've, I've always been drawn to ceramics and um, the art is partly what drew me to Santa Fe. And there's such yeah. amazing, artists here and it just feels like the perfect place to learn and I, as you were saying this sort of you know cycle of being um a, a performing recording artist it's definitely not the only thing i want to do and so there there's a there's a thirst to be a beginner again cool well the last question before i let you go is going to be a stupid one are you ready for the stupid question very always Okay. the The theme song to my show is done by an old friend of yours named Steve Schiltz. Oh, I love Steve. Have you ever seen Steve Schiltz be mean to anyone or in a bad mood ever? I cannot imagine Steve Schiltz being anything other than like coming face to face with an ice cream sundae. He's the best. Steve Schultz, the human ice cream sundae. Well, yeah. I, uh, I will let him know you said as much, but KT. Steve Schultz with a cherry on top and sprinkles. Thank you for the many years of great art. Uh, oh, I appreciate it so much. Psyched that the latest two records are far from the end, that we're seeing the musical theater stuff, the film scoring stuff, etc. So keep up all the greatness out there and enjoy. Thank you so day. much. Outrocast. You raise a really good point. Elizabeth, where I'm so tired of hearing the origin stories of every chef. What I like to hear instead is what's the number two hobby or the passion besides food? And I find that almost every chef, it's music. I I, I own the first few Jason Faulkner records. So I- Wow, right on. About that. I'm a longtime fan of not just one Faulkner, but two Faulkners right there. Uh, and I see photos and vinyl behind Pete as well. So Elizabeth, what is the number two for you? Is it music or film or sports or what is it? Yeah, it's it's all those things you just mentioned. I, know, I was like, which one is she gonna answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for to try to keep my sanity, I need to play a lot of sports, but also it's funny because I um, really had my hand in a lot of the music selection in our film because I do constantly think that I need, and I'm, I'm consistently making playlists and I need a soundtrack all the time in my life, like all the time. I need different, you know, themes of music just, and that kind of fits into my restaurant world too, because I'm, 
highly tuned in to what people are playing in the background uh, in music, so in restaurants. And also um, I've lived through different periods of time where it was like Muzak to, uh, you know, people like the, the restaurants in the, I think it was like in the late, 90s or early 2000s where all of a sudden the music just got rocking and loud in restaurants and uh you know it, it's, i'm really and i've also obviously owned restaurants and i've had people playing random music that they like and i'm like where did that come from this doesn't belong on our playlist and you know so yeah it's important to me <laughs> got it now who are some of those records and photos behind you <laughs> um bob dylan some rolling stones are back there um and just my other world of a podcast of some an actress that i'm a big fan of so uh that's what mine is but my other passion is food which is why i keep coming back to making food documentary pieces all the time because i just love to eat and i love to hear the world of the chefs i oh i think elizabeth and i have said a bunch of times through this that the food space and the film space have very similar traits to them yeah. and um i think that's why we worked so well together because we just okay. came at it from like okay well this the dp is our you know our line cook in a way you know a very creative line cook or or something like that you know um so yeah that john favreau movie kind of put all the film chef similes or metaphors or whatever the correct term is into the whole place about the studio system rejecting your passion project so you have to do the corporate thing so every now and then you do find people like yourselves like john favreau etc who get it so congratulations on that and and the last question i have for both of you and i don't know if this gets a two second no or a lengthy monologue from each of you are we allowed to know what's next from you because of strikes and embargoes you never know what you're allowed to say so elizabeth at you first are you allowed to say what you're working on besides promoting sorry we're closed yeah i'm actually i've been working on my writing a lot um i've been working i have been working on a manuscript for a memoir for a long time but now i'm kind of a little bit tired of jeff memoirs personally and um i tried to put a book out a couple of years ago before the pandemic um that Mr. Bourdain really liked the early drafts of um, that I could never get published during the insane political times because everybody was only publishing pol political books or people that were coming out of the White House. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm and I'm, I'm I've gotten to this point now where I part of the message that I wanted to put out there was that struggle I had um, during the 2008 stock market crash and that came out in the film. So I have a lot, I do write a lot. I write a lot of stories. I've been taking writing classes in, over the last couple of years um, because a lot of them turn virtual. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I mean, I'm definitely interested in other documentary or series topics. And I'm also really interested in even um, fiction and, uh, and writing yeah, like a script or something eventually here. So multiple creative avenues from you. That's what we're learning right here. Multiple business avenues, but you have to kept, uh, keep checking the social media to know what's next. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, sometimes <laughs> these things take time too. You know, what I'm really interested in is like cooking that's inconvenient, like not convenience. You know, like I want to show <laughs> you how things take time, you know, like really good stuff takes time. It's not like something that should just be like a 30 minute hack. I'm not interested in that. 
Got it. So look for 88 minute meals coming soon. <laughs> Pete, uh, besides promoting, sorry, we're closing besides your podcast. Are we allowed to know what's next or just I'm working? I'm working on a documentary about this amusement park in uh, in North Carolina called the Land of Oz, which is went viral a few years ago for being abandoned when it wasn't abandoned. There's a missing Dorothy dress. There's an unsolved mystery of a fire. So I'm deep in this in this uh, space. I've been flying back and forth to Oz, <laughs> but I always find telling people that uh, every month, and it's just been really exciting. I'll be there. I'll be there in September back at Oz. So that's what I'm currently working on. I've got a couple of other things in the in the uh, pipeline as well. So keeping busy. Outrocast.